Are you ready for the word today? All right. I want to talk today about God's vision for his house. God's vision for his house. We all want, we all want our houses to look and feel a certain way. You ever notice when you walk into someone's house that even if you were blindfolded and you walked in, you would know whose house you're in, right? Like you just, we have some friends of ours that uh, live, they live in, live in Canada. And I got a call from him last, I don't know, a couple of years ago. And his name is Mark. And Mark said, hey, uh, we just moved into a new house. And he said, uh, every time I used to come to y'all's house, there's just this smell in your house. Like, like Kristen does this thing. Like, I, what is that smell? He said, can you ask her what candle that is? And I, 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 I kind of giggled because I couldn't wait to hear what she was going to have to say. I'm like, baby, Mark wants to know how he can get that smell. And she said, well, there's this candle and there's that candle. But then you're going to have to put some spaghetti sauce, all right? And then you got to put some dog fur, you know, this whole... And some stinky boy feet, you know, because that's going to be a part of our house. Our house has this smell. It has this feel. Um, and and when, I, like, when I walk into my mom and dad's house, I just get sleepy just right away. Just sleepy. I just get tired. Because my mom keeps it dark and it's cozy in there. And I know she's going to feed me. And I just want to go lay on the couch. Because every house has this feel, and, and we all have our preferences of how we want our house to feel, how we want it to smell, what, the, what, it, what it's like. But it's the same thing with church, right? We all have our preference of how we want church to feel, what we want it to look like, what we want it to sound like. And that's how you get all these different denominations. Now, a lot of people think denominations are based on dark doctrine. Hardly ever. It's about music, all right? It's about music and preaching or people friendly and whatever. That's how it is. And so we have this thing. Of, we have these preferences. I want my church to, to feel this way. I want this church to be that way. And, and many of you came and checked us out before you, you really committed. Some of you are checking us out right now. It's like an open house for realtors, you know, just checking it out, eating free cookies and coffee, and then go check out the next one now. Yeah? And why do we do it? Because we want to know if it fits our preference or not. Is this, is this, is this fit for me? And some f- people say, well, I, I got to have certain things in a church because that's what I grew up with. Other people will say, I don't want those things in a church because that's what I grew up with, Right? We all have our preferences, but I want today for us to focus on what does God want in his house? Look at your neighbor and say, it is his house. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, look, we've opened the blinds, we've turned up the lights, and it still feels a little dull. Tell them, say, come on. A little smile. What is God's vision for his house? We're going to spend time talking about over the next several weeks about the vision we feel like God's placing in our hearts for this next season for us as a church. But I want to start it off by saying, God, how dare we try to figure out a vision before we figure out what your vision is? What do you want your house to feel like, to look like, to sound like, to smell like, to be like? Matthew chapter 21 is going to come up on the screens. Matthew 21 and 12 says this. And Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. 
He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Now, I know many of you have used this passage of Scripture to make sure you feel better about getting angry, right? And causing a ruckus. Well, I mean, even Jesus did it, right? Well, let's figure out why Jesus did it. And Jesus says this, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a den of robbers. The Gospel of Mark, telling the same story from another viewpoint, says it like this, Mark 11 and 17. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. How would you like it if you invited a first-time guest to church and they showed up and like, I don't like this. And they just started moving stuff around, coming up on stage. You don't play guitar. You go over there and play drums. And let's just start turning tables over and moving things around. That, you, that would not go over very well. But this is how Jesus shows up. He just starts turning things over and whipping people and their things are going everywhere. And what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And the reason he's acting this way is because he walked into his house and didn't even recognize it. He walked into his house and it didn't look anything like his house was supposed to look. It didn't feel like it. It didn't sound like it. It didn't smell like it. Everything was just off. And he says, you know what? This is going to change. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. What is God's vision for his house? Number one, and I want you to write down the word my and underline it a couple of times. My. He starts off by saying, on the count of three, you say the word. One, two, three. My. My house. God's vision for his house is number one, that it will be his house. Amen. I'm even careful sometimes saying, I love my church. I love our church. I love going to my church. Because in reality, it's God's house. And he starts off by saying, I want everybody to know that this is my house right here. This is the place that has my name on it. Jesus is quoting two different Old Testament scriptures when he's making this statement. One is Jeremiah 7 and 11. He said, Jeremiah says this, Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. In other words, this place has my name on it. So if it's got my name on it, I want it to feel like my house. You ever notice when you go to a Chick-fil-A that they're all the same? You ever notice that? Now, I can't vouch for the other fast food restaurants because some of you show up to them. I don't even know where I am right now, okay? I know what it says up here, but y'all ain't acting like it, all right? But, man, you go to a Chick-fil-A and my pleasure, my pleasure, this whole thing. I had never seen a difference until a a, a few months ago. Chris and I were traveling, and we showed up at a Chick-fil-A, and it did not feel like a Chick-fil-A. It felt weird. 
She's like, I'll take the, what else you want? <laughs> what? <laughs> How about, can I get you anything else? Like, we were annoying them. I mean, I looked at Chris, I'm like, this is, this is weird. That ain't weird, you know? And, uh, and so I told Chris, and I said, I'm, I'm going to find a manager. And that's not normal to me. I don't go looking for a manager. Well, I wasn't looking for a manager because I wanted to complain. I wanted to know who the manager was. I walk up. I see the manager. She comes walking by. I said, hi, are you the manager? Yeah, what you need? Well, oh, my goodness. Now I see what's going on around here. What had happened is this manager had put her name on the sign instead of Chick-fil-A. God says, look, this is my house. It's got my name on it. And because of that, I want things done a certain way. How many of you parents have ever used those words before? Hey, not in this house. Come on, parents. Right? Yeah, but they, I don't care about them. You don't live with they. You live right here and in this house with the Ragsdale name on it. This is how we do things, okay? Can I get an amen from the parents and an oh me from the children? Yeah. I can hear the Lord saying this. Hey, if you want this house, y'all can have it. But I'm taking my name off of it. I don't know about you, but I want God to keep his name on my house. So first of all, it's my. It's my house, mine. Secondly, the word house stands out to me. Number two, house. He didn't say my tabernacle, right? My chalet. My palace. Again, if I was God, and be thankful I'm not, if I was God, he'd be like, my temple. No, my house. Everybody say house. house. This is my house. Doesn't that feel much more intimate than rah? It's just my house. Why does God call it his house? Because God wants a family. We call ourselves servants. We call ourselves all this stuff. But what God's really after, he's after family. If he just wanted servants, that's what the angels, you know? That's what they do. They're ministering spirits and they serve. And No, he wanted family. Let me give you another little tidbit. If you, if you, want, if you want to go somewhere, then you've got to sow something. So you sow where you want to go. Or you sow what you want to grow, whichever one of those alliteration rhyming schemes you like. You sow whatever you want to see in your life. God so loved the world that he sent his son to be buried as a seed so that God could have a family. You ever notice how many family words are used? God, Father. Son, bride, children, God wants a family. I would say one of the things that we hear more than anything about the hills, people say, it just feels like family. When I walked in, it just felt like family. So let me just say something as as the pastor here at the hills. If this place doesn't feel like family to you, you need to work on that. 
Work on getting connected with somebody. Don't just say, well, I can't connect. Yeah, you can. We got gatherings and serve teams and coffee and intro. Get connected. Sit around a table with somebody. Well, I just don't know anybody. You know why? Because you show up five minutes late and leave five minutes early. You got like an express lane. We don't know who you are. Like, I come back. Get connected. Okay? Secondly, If this place doesn't feel like family and you've tried to get connected, but it doesn't feel like family, this may not be the place for you. And that's okay. It's all right. That's why there's other places out there. I want to encourage you, if this is your church, do everything you can for it to feel like family. And if that doesn't work, find you a place where it can feel like family. Not just my church. This is my family. We sit around the table together. We eat together. Sometimes we may even fight together. Sometimes we may fight each other. But it's all right because we're family. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a little quiet, but that's a good word right there. Say it. Come on, tell them. Say amen. Family. My house. My house. So Jesus is quoting two passages here, Jeremiah 7. And another thing that I notice here, he says, this house that bears my name has become a den of robbers. What do robbers do? They steal. In other words, you are taking my house away from me. You're you're changing the culture of it. You're changing the feel of it. This is not even what I even, I don't even want my name on this anymore. The other scripture that he's quoting is Isaiah 56 and 7. That says, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house. The next several weeks, we're going to be looking at who these are and who them is. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. My house. The next thing, the vision that God has is that it's his, that it's his house where his family meets, but also that it is a house of prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer. God's vision for his house, is that it would be a place of prayer. Now, for some of you, when I say the word prayer, you automatically go to a monk. Like the hood, hoodie mellow, whatever, just like this thing. Some of y'all got that? No, not everybody? Okay, that's all right. You automatically go there, or you go to this arduous, like, oh, God. Now, I like to be honest. I like you to be honest with me. How many of you? Uh, how many of you have a tough time praying consistently? Raise your hand. Now, first of all, just look around the room. Look, is that amazing? Because you probably thought you're the only heathen that there is. <laughs> and I've been very honest about this as your pastor. Prayer is a discipline for me. 
I have friends of mine that they just get out of the bed praying. They pray all day. They spend hours in prayer. And I used to feel so guilty about that. Like, man, it's hard for me because my ADD kicks in. You know, I'm praying. I go, oh, God, we got to go get, I got to go get, go pay that bill, you know. <laughs> Can I hear an amen from somebody? And Kristen taught me, my wife is a, a woman of prayer, and she, she has helped me so much in that. And one of the greatest things, and this will help you out, one of the greatest things she ever taught me about prayer is keep a, keep a checklist next to your, your bed or your, your, uh, your, your wherever you, where you're praying, and when something comes to your mind, just write it down. Oh, pay that bill. Okay, you're done. All right, back to you, Lord. You know, instead of going and do it, just write it down and take care of that later prayer. My house will be called a house of prayer. What he's saying is, I want prayer to be a priority in my house. How many of you, sometimes you can go through a whole day and you've, oh, I didn't, I prayed over the meal, but I didn't really I'll be honest with you, there's been times that we've been walking through something as a family and we'll get halfway through it and I'm like, oh, maybe we should have prayed. And so God has been dealing with Kristen and I about making prayer a priority in our house. And God's been speaking to us very clearly as a church, as we move into this next season, to make prayer a priority in our house. And we have a praying church. We have, Kristen, I don't want you to think that we just never pray. We pray. We have a praying household. We pray and we seek God's face and we worship and it's a part of it. But even more so, I'm feeling as, as the pastor of this church, God really leaning in on us and saying, I want you to make prayer a priority. As I traveled, for many years I traveled and I found that well, I grew up with prayer rooms in a church. How many grew up with a prayer? Like we had a prayer room, you know? You went and prayed. And the women prayed in one room, the men prayed in another room, all right? I don't know why, that's just how it was set up. And then if you're ever in one room, the women were on one side, men on the other side. I think it's because the men felt guilty because they could not pray like the women could pray, all right? <laughs> but I noticed as I traveled that prayer rooms started getting smaller and smaller and then they were disappeared, but our production got bigger and bigger. And I felt like the Lord speaking clearly to me over the past several weeks is never let production be more of a priority than prayer. I would say that in your own life. Don't let production be more of a priority than prayer. What you're doing and what you're accomplishing and what you got going on. and Yeah, but is it a house of prayer? It's not, it's not easy for us to make this a house of prayer because we don't own this house. You know, this is a, some of you may not know this, this is a senior citizens community center throughout the day. That's what's going on in this place right here. And we come in, our team comes in early on Sunday morning and I, we call it inflated church. They just, they, they just push a button and all this just, just pops up. Did y'all know that? It's pretty incredible. These guys show up and, and they make it ready and they make it right. And then after, when everybody's gone, we put it away in our closets and then we go. And so it's not easy. You know, I don't know how great the, the leadership here would like it. We just came walking and just praying right in one of their seminars, just walking around. That's why I'm believing that God has our own place for us out there. Because our vision for having our own venue for a church is that it will become and be a house of prayer. I feel like church is the most wasted space in America. 
And what I mean by that is we've got these big pieces of, of land and we've got all this parking and we're open, you know, a few hours on Sunday. What if Target ran their business like that? Hey, we've got a big old place. But we're just open on Sundays, you know, from about 8 till about 1230. Right. Well, wouldn't, business would not go well, would it? What if we could have a place that was a house of prayer? where there's prayer going on, there's worship going on, there's teaching going on, there's kingdom culture being built all through the week. That's the vision that we have for when God gives us our own place. And I'm telling you, I feel like it's right around the corner. Amen? I feel like it's right around the corner. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. So making prayer a priority, but also making it that The house of God has a reputation of prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer. I'm believing that there's going to be a day that when people have a need, they're going to say, man, I got to get to the hills. I got, because I know somebody's going to be there praying. There's going to be somebody there that can help me walk through this that will believe with me. A house of prayer. Everybody say vision. vision. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that kind of vision right there. My house shall be called a house of prayer. We do a lot of things as a church, and we will do a lot more things as a church, and we'll be sharing more of those with you over the next several weeks. But I want to make sure that before we do anything else, that prayer is first. A a friend of mine, uh, Kevin Queen, who's the the new pastor at Crosspoint, has a great statement, and he and I had lunch the other day, and he said this, he said, prayer is not the only thing we do, but it is the first thing we do. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> Let prayer be a priority in our life. Because when we make prayer a priority, then we're making God's house the way he wants it to be. My house shall be called a house of prayer. And when God's house feels like he wants it to feel, guess what happens? He shows up. I don't know about you, but I, I like y'all, but I don't want to come to church just to see y'all. I want Jesus to be here. Amen? Amen. On the way to uh, service today, uh, I, thank, I do thank God for a, a praying church. I thank God for a praying team. I thank God for Wayne and Eve Duff, a, a part of our prayer and our, our care team. And if you ask them to pray, I promise you they're going to be praying. Uh, when you submit a prayer need, them and their team, uh, they're praying over it. And, and uh, I trust what they feel. And so this week, uh, anytime I study for an entire series, I always spend a lot more time at the beginning. There's a lot of prayer. And uh, Chris and I went on multiple days of fasting and, and just getting ready for what God wants to say. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of time spent. Uh, that, that week, those two weeks before a series. And, and man, I was just in my study and had my candles lit and my music playing and really just trying to get God's, God's, what I feel like was God's mind for the series. And I get a text, and it's a text from Eve. And she said, Pastor, I'm praying for you. And she said, I just heard one, one word. The Lord said, listen, listen. And if you listen, he'll speak. And I tell you, I've been listening all week, just listening. Listening and writing and listening and writing. Still didn't feel like I was getting everything that he wanted to say to me. How many feel like that sometimes? God just kind of waits and waits. You're like, come on, come on. I, I, I need to know now. Let's go. On the way to church today, y'all, I'm driving. Coming down 65, I'm rolling, doing about 80 miles an hour. I know what the, I know what it, I know what the speed limit is, but I was doing 80. And I was moving along. 
And I told Chris, and I said, I just don't feel like a bow on this. I don't feel like it's been tied up for me. I don't feel like I've got everything God wants to say. And, uh, and man, I walked in this place, went back to my little office. It's really a closet, but I went back to my office back here, and I just said, God, I need you to speak. And God clearly dropped something in my heart that I want to share with you as I close. Everybody say, God's presence. So if we will make God's house the way he wants it to be, God will show up. And I want God to show up. It is his house. He belongs here. Well, there's a passage of scripture in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 where Solomon has built the temple of God. Now look at me. Listen to this. David said, I want to build God a house. And God said, you can't. Because you shed too much innocent blood. You can't build me a house. However, because you said you want to build me a house, I'm going to build you a house. And David, I'm going to give you a kingdom that will never end. Matter of fact, Jesus is going to be a part of that lineage. And all he said was, he didn't even put one brick on top of another. He just said, I want to build God a house. And then the second thing he says is, I'm going, to, I'm going to establish you a kingdom that will never end. Secondly, you're not going to build it, but your boy is going to build it. I want to tell you parents right now, if we will make the house of God a priority, we will see our children live out things that we may, may never even see ourselves live out. I am now doing things and building things and praying for things because I want these boys to walk in that fruitfulness. I want to marry your children in the house of God. I want to dedicate your babies and grandbabies in the house of God. Amen? Amen. Building a legacy is what it's about. So he said, you're not going to build it, but Solomon will. And Solomon built the temple of God. And at the end of it, when it was built at the dedication, look at what happened. Second Chronicles 5 and 14 says this. And so the priest, let me, let me read 13. Actually, the 13 says this, that the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house. The priests could not even minister. Y'all, when you get preachers to shut up, like you have done something. You know what I mean? The cloud, the glory of the Lord filled the house so the priests could not minister. Well, how did that happen? How do you get the glory of the Lord? I'm talking about the presence of God where things begin to change, where freedom happens and healing happens and salvation happens. There would be more than one yeah right there. There would be somebody that wants that in your life. How do we get that? Let me give you these points real quick, and then we're going to close. 2, Corinthians, 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and verse number 1. First of all, it says this. So all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. Everybody say the work. The glory of God couldn't show up in the house of God until the house of God was finished. Everything had to be put in order. Everything had to be lined up just perfect. Everybody say work. One of my mentors used to say this, the work of God is work. I'm telling you, if I hear one more person tell me, I'm just coming into a season of rest right now. I just, it's just going to be a Sabbath season for me. 
Just me. The rest of y'all can keep working, but me, I'm taking a rest right now. The work of God is work. It takes calluses. You do things. It doesn't mean you labor. There's a difference in laboring and working, right? But it's work. It takes work. And once the work of God is done and everything was set in order, God is a God of order. He wants things done decently and in order. And so it takes that, number one, for God to show up. Get things done. Get it right. The next thing, verse number six says this. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel were assembled with him before the ark. They were sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for the multitude. What brings the presence of God? Things being done decently and in order and generosity. Look at me. Giving does not move God's heart. Generosity moves God's heart. Because giving is what we're supposed to be doing anyway. That's what we're called to do. Generosity is what moves God's heart. There were so many, they couldn't even number them. Can you imagine being that guy that's supposed to count? Okay, sheep, come in there. One, two, two. Oh, God, no, I'm not going to do it anymore. Just so many. The Bible also talks about that in the early church that they opened up for offering and the people brought so much offering that the disciples had to say, y'all got to quit bringing stuff. Don't bring any more. We don't have room for it. Man, I'm telling you, that's a pastor's dream right there. All right, y'all, thanks for giving, but we can't take any more. The bank will not take any more of our money right now. But what if we could have this generosity just come over us that we don't have to be begging to give, but it's just this generous spirit. That's what happens. When that happens, that's when God shows up. Number three, and it came to pass that the priest, verse seven, then the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place. And where'd they put it? Into the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. I felt the Holy Spirit just lean in on me right here. The ark of the covenant was symbolic of God, the presence of God. And they brought the ark of the covenant and they put it in to the innermost place it could go. What makes God show up? When we put Him in the center of everything we're doing. God's not on the outskirts of your life. God's not over here. God's in the middle of it. When people walk in your home, when they get in your car, when they're around you, they know who's in the middle. Amen? God, you're the focus. Without you, we don't even have a need for a house. Isn't that crazy? We'd have the house of God and he's not even there. No, it's your house. We want you in the middle. Verse 11 says, When it came to pass, when the priest came out of the most holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. You want God to show up? Let your leadership be sanctified. That means set aside for God's use. Let your leaders live a life that's above, that raises the bar. You want to be a leader in your family, a leader in your community, a leader in your church? Raise the bar. Sanctify yourself to the Lord. And secondly, it says, they didn't minister according to their divisions. There were no divisions among them. They didn't say, well, this is my area. You take care of that area. Everybody was together. One guy from here, everybody together, all together, sanctifying, and they were one. Leaders are sanctified. And lastly, it says this, 
And the Levites, verse 12, who were the singers, and it lists some names, were their sons and brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals and stringed instruments and harps, with them 120 priests, which by the way, 120 is the exact number of people that were in the upper room when the Holy Spirit was poured out the first time. And remember what they were, they were all with one accord, right? Everybody was unified. And then it says this, Indeed it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one. Everybody say one. To make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. When they lifted up their voice with trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord singing, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud. What brings the presence of God to God's house? Making sure the house of God is in order, that the work is done. A spirit of generosity. Making sure he is at the center of everything we're doing. The leaders are sanctified and they're all, there's no divisions. And that God's people are worshiping with one voice. That's why we encourage you on Sundays to lift your voice and sing together. There's something powerful about us singing the same thing to the same God. Amen. What is God's vision for his house? His vision for his house is that he feels welcomed in his own house. That it's not about my preferences. It's not about what I want to see happen. But it's about his house. And I've focused on him. And I'm setting the place so that he feels welcome and wanted right here. Let me pray for you.